Good morning. It's time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Scott Foster in here with you. Thank you so much for joining us here on a Monday. Lots of stuff to talk about as we uh, get grinding a little bit closer to a harvest. Uh, Susan Littlefield here with us. Good morning, Susan. Well, good morning. The guys are busy chopping silage around us right now. Are you seeing, I've noticed uh, beans starting to turn. Are you seeing a lot of that too? Not at all. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Unless they were affected by floodwaters, but they've been yellow all year. So. Oh, that's well, it's kind of hard to tell then, isn't it? So. Exactly. All right. Very good. What do you got for us? Well, coming up at 1219, Clay's going to step in with following the recent Custer County Corn Growers Association. He had the opportunity to talk with the NCGA's president and Nebraska's very own Lynn Crisp. Gets an update on what's been happening and the current status of ethanol within Nebraska and nationwide at that. Then coming up at 1245, we will get an update. This is going to come from Brandon Bennett as he talks about the Kansas City Barbecue. They've got a new CEO, and I'm sure that just the thoughts of barbecue is going to make folks hungry. Then at 117, Bruce uh, Gorder talks with Troy Bradenkamp of Renewable Fuels Nebraska at a couple of meetings that took place just this last week at the White House. So lots of things happening from the midday. All right. Very good. Thank you, Susan. Appreciate it. Have a good Thank day. Thank you. You too. We, well, Jason, uh, looked a little bit more like what we were hoping Nebraska football would look like on Saturday. A little bit, other than the kicking game. That's a circus <laughs> right now. Oh, yeah. oh, that is interesting. But uh, open and roll it for that thing. Hopefully it gets straightened out before too long. It needs to. Yeah. Uh, the Big 12, I should say the Big 10 announced today, Nebraska's game with Ohio State on the 28th will be a 6.30 kickoff. So I hope uh, you don't have any weddings planned that night. <laughs> Otherwise, if you do, better roll on the TV. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, uh, Broncos. Do we? Are we going to talk about that at all, or are we just going to pass on by? Zero and two for the first time since nineteen ninety nine. That that was a terrible football game between them and the Bears. Although yep. it was a good finish, yeah. unless you were a Broncos fan. But uh, yeah, but but the Denver Broncos are not the Miami Dolphins. Oh. We've been outscored fifty nine to ten and forty three to nothing right. in the first two weeks of the season. It's going to be a long year for the folks. There's not going to be very many people in that stadium uh, over the next few weeks. No, a lot, lot of folks dressed as uh, empty seats uh-huh. <laughs> or empty seats dressed as missing people. So we'll touch on that. Also, we'll talk some Husker volleyball. They have a huge match coming up on Wednesday against Stanford. Stanford was bumped off over the weekend by Minnesota. So there's a chance Nebraska could move to the top spot in the polls. We will get Coach Cook's thoughts on that. All right. Very good. Thank you, Jason. We'll turn it over to Bob Brogan. How are stocks doing today, Bob? They are falling as as oil prices are spiking, and that's because there was a little bit of fireworks. I had some major oil facilities in Saudi Arabia, so what effect that's going to have is um, anybody's guess right now. However, uh, the U.S. price of gas right now down three cents per gallon over the past two weeks, but they're saying that, uh, well, industry experts are saying that this is going to cause some reaction. They don't think it's going to be immediate, and they don't think it's going to be hard and fast, but it's going to, um, there's definitely going to be a few cents uh, tacked on at the gas pump. So those are a couple of the stories making headlines. All right, very good. Thank you very much. That's all coming up on Midday. 
It is time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Scott in here with you is... Uh, See some warmer days coming up at least for today. Very warm, obviously, yesterday, but uh, we will see a little bit more change. A more active pattern is setting up across the region. During this extended period, uh, we're going to see the new pattern will cycle a few disturbances through the plains, creating several opportunities for scattered thunderstorm chances, as well as some breezy and gusty days and possibly more fall-like weather on Sunday. An upper-level trough is expected to be coming across the Intermountain West on Tuesday and will result in a tightening surface pressure gradient across the plains, which means it's giving us a rather breezy and possibly gusty day on Tuesday. Uh, Currently, those sustained winds of 20 to 25 miles per hour with higher gusts expected due to winds aloft, uh, so expect that to be a pretty pretty windy day tuesday and even into wednesday and wednesday night there are some chances for some scattered thunderstorms overnight thursday looks to be the relatively calm day as we transition between systems then on friday as the next upper level disturbance approaches from the west we can expect to see somewhat of a uh, repeat of tuesday a much tighter pressure gradient ahead of the trough bringing breezy and gusty winds however This time around, models show that the trough to be deepening much more as it approaches the plains. As it currently stands, this stronger system will bring even better chances of showers and thunderstorms heading into the weekend and more fall-like temperatures from Sunday behind a cold front. The DTN Ag Weather Forecast calls for above to much above normal temperatures to favor corn and soybean development in the Midwest. There are no signs of damaging cold for at least the next 10 days. In the northern plains, periods of showers and thunderstorms in the next five days will bring some new flood threats. Temperatures remain mild for late planted crop development. In the southern plains, more widespread rain is needed for soil moisture ahead of winter wheat planting. Very little rain is, in, is indicated during the coming week. In the Canadian prairies, a cool and wet pattern during the past week has was unfavorable for maturing crops and early harvests, especially through south-central and eastern areas. Conditions will be warmer and drier this week. However, rain chances resume late in the week. Brazil's crop areas will be dry and hot throughout the week, delaying some soybean planting in Europe. Dryness remains a concern in many crop areas, notably in France, Belgium, and parts of western Germany. Only limited rainfall is indicated in the five- to seven-day forecast. In the Black Sea region, western and northern Ukraine have dryness concerns following several weeks of dry conditions. South and east Ukraine through southern Russia have showers in generally more favorable conditions for the new winter wheat seeding. Now, as we go a little further south, monsoon rains are weakening in India. This is a seasonal feature. Recent rains have been favorable for crops. And in Australia, as we go down under, uh, across the uh, Australian plain, most east, eastern wheat excuse me, areas remain dry with low production expected. Western Australia wheat has a more favorable moisture assessment. And that's a, that's a look at... Uh, the DTN forecast right now, uh, we're going to look at some warmer conditions. We'll see those heat units come in, uh, certainly to help out with 
our crop production and our crop development. For weather at any time, you can go to krvn.com. I'm Scott Foster. Hello, this is Governor Pete Ricketts inviting you to join me for my next Governor's Monthly Call-In Show from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time and 1 to 2 p.m. Mountain Time. I'm excited to grow Nebraska, and I look forward to taking your calls and questions. Please tune in and stay involved with your state government with my monthly call-in show from the Nebraska Broadcasters Association and this radio station. The Nebraska Rural Radio Association presents the Governor's Call-In Show this afternoon at 2 on 880 KRVN. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. We just concluded the 2019 Custer County Corn Growers Association and their annual plot tour. We had an exciting set of special guests here this evening that came in and talked about a broad variety of topics. But one of the most honored guests tonight is National Corn Growers Association President Lynn Crisp. Had the opportunity now to talk with Lynn. And Lynn, the things on everybody's mind right now is REN waivers and ethanol waivers. Yeah, that's the two big topics at this point in time. The National Corn Growers Association is doing absolutely everything that we can, pulling out the stops to talk to the right folks within the administration that might be able to make a difference. And so the president has said that uh, we're going to be happy with what he's coming out with uh, to be announced shortly. I checked my phone uh, just before the supper tonight to find out if there was something that could be talked about, but we're still in the waiting mode. But we've turned in a list of things that the administration can do in mitigation of the 31 waivers that was handed out, but those 31 waivers came as a real shock to us. When previous administrations have only been handing out four and five to see this come in, but you guys are aggressively at Capitol Hill, and there's a few buzzwords you're talking about that really has opened up some doors for corn. It's the fact that corn is sustainable and the fact that corn is looking at that alternative energy source. If you're headed up to Capitol Hill uh, to talk to some folks that are not very familiar with farm country, you need to be talking uh, about something that is of interest to them. Definitely on the house side, if you're talking uh, sustainability for agriculture then or uh, how agriculture can participate in uh, this uh, climate change discussion, it gets their attention to the point where you can actually have a reasonable conversation. don't want to call it a lobbying war, but yet Big Oil is obviously lobbying for their position. They want to keep their market share that they have. They don't want to let ethanol in. But with that, we're actually seeing a positive return on our dollar for the amount, for the lobbying dollar that corn spends when they talk to politicians. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, in my conversation with some folks with the American Refiners Association, uh, they have said they admire the fact that we get as much done for the dollars that we spend relative to their expenditures. They've got much deeper pockets, so we're in a situation where we have to be certain and wise about how we're spending our dollars as we lobby on Capitol Hill. Brings us back to the story of David and Goliath, but I'm I'm putting my money on the corns, David. Lynn, we've covered a lot of information. Anything else you think is important for folks to be talking about, to be getting involved about right now? I just want everybody to know that National Corn Growers Association is working really hard on behalf of our membership. And I kind of jokingly say for me as president, it's uh, all corn all the time. But there's a lot of truth to that statement. We're focused on demand, 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 whether it be trade or whether it be ethanol. Those are two big markets for us. We need to... see some successes there, get the USMCA ratified here shortly, which I think uh, will happen. Continue to encourage 
the administration be engaged in uh, trade uh, conversations. That's the long game. We're also in a situation where we are uh, letting the administration know, including a letter that I wrote to President Trump last week, uh, just expressing our disappointments over these 31 waivers. And I call it an unforced error. So we'll see what comes of it then. And hopefully there will be some good mitigation uh, types of uh, things that get announced here soon. Again, that is National Corn Growers Association President Lynn Crisp joining us here at the Custer County Corn Growers Association and their 2019 plot tour. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to talk sports. Is Jason Jorgensen in, and we got another night game coming up with Ohio State. And here's something I noticed that I'd never seen before. That when Nebraska scored the other day against uh, against Northern Illinois, the lights they like turn into disco lights. Yeah. Did you notice that? That was really cool. Saw the pictures uh, on Facebook about that. Our own Dave Schroeder took a pretty cool oh yeah of the, between the mm-hmm. third and fourth quarter. But I'm talking about oh. the stadium lights actually flicker after Nebraska scores a touchdown. They pulse like it's a disco tech. Huh? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Not. I don't want to be negative here. Right. Okay. Go ahead. I don't know how many times those lights will flash on the 28th against Ohio State. They look pretty good. We will we will see. We'll but see. the kickoff for that game has been announced. That will be a 6.30 kickoff on that night. Of course, this week the Huskers play at Illinois. That one begins at 7. Also, the Big 12 and ESPN announced today that Kansas State's Big 12 Conference opener at Oklahoma State on the 28th will kick off at 6. How about the Wildcats? 3-0, yeah. going down in SEC country and knocking off. Mississippi State. Uh, there's some talent there. Chris doing a good job with them. He certainly is. We'll add another bowl game into the mix. This one at Fenway Park. The Central Park will host a matchup between teams from the Atlantic Coast Conference and the American Athletic Conference starting in 2020. It will be the first college bowl game of the home of the Red Sox. Of course, the ballpark has hosted other football games dating back to 1912, including the American Football League's Boston Patriots in the 1960s and the game last year between Harvard and Yale. I wonder how they configure that, because you'd think it would be pretty tight, but they've played it there. so There will now be 41 postseason games <laughs> next year in college football. Nice. There's a good chance Nebraska could be ranked number one in this week's AVCA Division I volleyball poll. Top-ranked Stanford lost over the weekend in Minnesota. Head coach John Cook, however, doesn't think the Huskers deserve that ranking. Well, apparently we're not going to be able to hear from Coach Cook about that. And you will host Stanford on Wednesday in a rematch of last year's NCAA national title match in December. That, of course, the Cardinals were able to win. And bad news for Saints fans yesterday. Uh, Drew Brees has been diagnosed with a torn ligament near the thumb of his throwing hand. He's expected to miss six weeks. Before that, he'd missed only one full game because of injury in his previous 13 seasons with New Orleans. I guess you play long enough eventually. Yeah, that's going to hurt them. And, Teddy uh, Bridgewater looked a little, struggled a little bit the other night. But so. maybe with a full week of practice yeah, yeah. knowing he's the number one guy. He's talented. Yeah, we'll see. I guess we'll see. That is a check of sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Thank you, Jason. Tomorrow night, it's high school softball action as Lexington hosts Cozad, and we will bring you all of the action on Cami Country Legends. 
Our coverage starts with the Plum Creek Marketplace pregame show at 6.20 with first pitch at 6.30. And on Friday night, it's a doubleheader of high school football action with Adams Central visiting Gothenburg on 880-KRVN and Eustace Farnham will host Deschler on Kimmy Country Legends. And all of our games all season long can also be heard at KRVN.com. When bad weather happens, you can rely on KRVN. We are your home for up-to-the-minute coverage of flooding. And a flooded south part of Kearney. Doesn't look like any of these roads are going to open anytime soon. Tornadoes. Three tornado warnings that are in effect right now, and two of them until 745. This storm that has spawned these tornadoes has now grown. And severe weather impacting our listening area. The southern part of this tornadic thunderstorm could be moving back through the Farnham area in the next few minutes as well. We will be there to alert you to any significant weather events and we can take you to the scene with our reporters for in-moment experiences. Where we have the drone right now, we're facing to the south looking at Interstate 80 and literally right off as you head north into Kearney. This is why they have the interstate shut down. Water's over the road, so they don't want folks driving through that, obviously. With our social media pages, you can find photos, videos, and interviews in real time. Check out krvn.com for podcasts, interviews, and news stories. 880 KRVN. We are who you rely on when bad weather happens. Time for us to take a look at news and Dave Schroeder in here. Dave, I wanted to mention uh, you took a really cool picture at the Nebraska game from the North Stadium. You yes, said yes when they when everybody had their cell phones out and the banner and the uh, the stripes went red and stuff yes. between third and fourth quarter. Right, right, right. And uh, that was cool looking. And I'm learning too that maybe there was there's a Husker Lights app maybe that kind of initiates this at volleyball games or something like that. But it just seemed like in the South Stadium someone started doing that yep. and more and more and then then it seemed like the stadium people put those red lights on and that was like a big red eclipse it was, it was cool it, and i was up in the press box so i wasn't in the stadium per, i mean i was in the stadium but not in the crowd and man it looked cool yeah. from up there too it was really neat it's a new thing yes. the the cell phone lights you know they've done it for a couple of years but we haven't had that many night games so you could tell oh, yeah, so, right, they, so right. it really showed up and, and they played good too so, Absolutely. So that's good. That's good. 51,000 views of that on the KRVN really? Facebook page, nice. by the way. Feel nice. free to uh, tag yourself for the picture, too, folks. Nice. nice. <laughs> Very good. Very good. All right, Dave, what do you got for us? A new report says parts of a Nebraska prison weren't searched during a recent lockdown that was billed as a safety precaution to, local, uh, to locate contraband. Nebraska Inspector General for Correctional Services Doug Kebernick said in his annual report that the issue came to his attention September 6th when Nebraska State penitentiary is under a lockdown. Kaepernick says he encountered two employees who were discussing the lockdown. One was upset that only part of one housing unit was searched before inmates were allowed to resume movement in that area. Kaepernick says he later verified those concerns, but prison officials wouldn't elaborate. A corrections department spokeswoman says safety and security reasons prevent the agency from releasing specific details about what areas are searched, how they're searched, or why. There is a petition drive for a measure that seeks to lower Nebraska property taxes by sharply cutting state revenue and gaining steam and donations, despite concerns from some groups that it would force lawmakers to raise other taxes and cut state services. The petition group, True Nebraskans, now has more than 200 volunteers gathering signatures throughout the state and is planning to add paid circulators soon. Paul Von Baron, the group's president, says he feels very, very good about the campaign's current petition. Opponents include Governor Pete Ricketts, who says a plan would create a budget crisis. 
Supporters argue those concerns are overblown. A nine-year-old boy died after being struck by a sport utility vehicle in an Omaha suburb. The accident occurred around 5 p.m. yesterday in Bellevue. The names of the boy and the SUV driver haven't been released. The Kansas State Fair will reevaluate its gun policy because concert security concerns could conflict with Kansas law that allows gun owners to carry their weapons openly. The fair had to screen concert goers at the September 7th Billy Currington performance because he required it in his contract and the show was delayed. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. All right, thanks a lot, Dave. Hello, this is Governor Pete Ricketts inviting you to join me for my next Governor's Monthly Call-In Show from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time and 1 to 2 p.m. Mountain Time. I'm excited to grow Nebraska, and I look forward to taking your calls and questions. Please tune in and stay involved with your state government with my monthly call-in show from the Nebraska Broadcasters Association and this radio station. The Nebraska Rural Radio Association presents the Governor's Call-In Show this afternoon at 2 on 880 KRVN. The Kansas City Barbecue Society has a brand new Chief Executive Officer, Nebraska native Emily Detweiler. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network. Emily, tell us a little bit about your background, including your strong ties to Nebraska. I actually was born in Hastings, so I still have some family there. I've got two aunts. I've got an uncle, and my grandfather still lives there, so I make it back every once in a while and moved to Iowa and since Kansas City over the course of my life. And I did my education at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa for my undergrad and then received my MBA from the University of Missouri in Columbia and have really always been in the marketing area. So I've got about 15 years of experience in driving brands strategy for brands like Smithfield Fresh Pork was probably the largest brand that I worked on for about five years. And then I've also worked for other brands like Hostess, Borden Cheese, working with Dairy Farmers of America Co-op. That was a great experience. Also have worked for Faultless Starch and Hostess Snack Cakes. So kind of a variety. Uh, but really getting into the side of Smithfield was how I got into you and I led all of the barbecue programs for Smithfield Fresh Pork and, and developed a whole bunch of new programs for the sport of competition barbecue. So that's really why when KCBS was looking for a new leader to lead the organization into the future, they knew that I had a lot of that expertise and background from my days at Smithfield and picked up the phone and gave me a call. Emily, give us some of the history of the Kansas City Barbecue Society, your position as the CEO, and what drew you to that position. The Kansas City Barbecue Society has been around since 1986, and it was co-founded by Gary and Carolyn Wells. And from its very beginnings, it was kind of modest history. You know, a lot of people wanted to get together and do some of these barbecue competitions, which were very different in the early days of the sport, but really just teams getting together to have a good time and have a little fun. And ultimately, several people came to Gary and Carolyn and said, you know, we should really put some rules in place. And so they did, and they had a friend that created a scoring program for them. So with that new set of rules and a scoring system, that's really how KCBS 
essentially was launched. And over time, you know, they've really, we've put in some strong programs and protocols to make sure that we really are able to develop a fair and equitable contest for the cooks, the pitmaster teams, and establish a very precise way of judging and having the same protocol for judging across the country. So over time, KCBS has come to be the gold standard from a sanctioning body perspective and currently sanctions about 500 barbecue competitions a year across the U.S. and also has presence in 40 countries across the world. So the current membership base is about 20,000 members strong and it's just a great way for people to come and share in the cuisine and sport and really culture of American barbecue. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Emily Detweiler, the newly named Chief Executive Officer of the Kansas City Barbecue Society. Emily, KCBS's sanctioned events, including judging chicken, two types of pork, and beef. How is KCBS important not only to the quantity, that is the pounds of agricultural products being used each year, but also the quality of those new and tasty ways to enjoy those critters of production agriculture. I don't have a specific figure on exactly how many pounds could be attributed specifically to competition barbecue, but what I can tell you is that each competition, they're cooking anywhere from three to as many as seven or eight racks of ribs per contest. You know, they'll easily cook four to eight pork butts, a brisket or two. The brisket is definitely the most expensive, so you don't want to ruin a good brisket, but you also don't want to buy too many. And then chicken. They will go through several different, either whole chickens or chicken thighs, etc. So I'm telling you, these guys, especially that are out there on the circuit that are cooking anywhere from 20 to 40 competitions a year, that is some serious, serious amount of protein, really having a strong impact from an agriculture perspective from that lens. Now, the other thing I would tell you is that from my days at Smithfield, we actually were doing some very specific things for the pitmasters and were even tracking as best we could the numbers that were attributed to those pitmasters and very, very good results. So it definitely comes through. The other thing I would say is that in addition to what the pitmasters are using for their protein at the competitions, they also are really the key influencers for all of their friends, family, their church members, So anybody that wants to grill or aspires to smoke meat is turning to their pitmaster friend for advice. And so their reach really extends even further beyond the competition circuit. And, you know, they're really inspiring their friends to get out there and get grilling those delicious proteins all summer as well. So it's a pretty significant impact on production agriculture. Emily, the last word is yours. Final thoughts on your position or the KCBS itself. I'm just thrilled to be here and to really help carry on the legacy that was established by Gary and Carolyn Wells. For those who are invested in the sport of barbecue, which really does transcend, yes, it's definitely strong in the Midwest, but it crosses the country, and we have presence in 40 countries internationally. So to be able to help carry on that tradition and to think through strategic opportunities for the Kansas City Barbecue Society to really grow into the future and attract new audiences, including younger audiences, you know, that's definitely something that I want to make sure that we're focused on is getting the next generation of cooks 
judges, etc., invested in the sport of barbecue. You know, there's something that we like to talk about in the sport of barbecue that we call the spirit of barbecue. And I would just tell you that it is very much about friends and family and fun. And I have never seen in professional sports the type of camaraderie that you will see in the sport of barbecue. So I love the sport of barbecue. You really can't go wrong. And people are willing to help each other. So I was very excited to be able to come on board and really help drive the future for the Kansas City Barbecue Society. That was Nebraska native Emily Detweiler, the brand new Chief Executive Officer of the Kansas City Barbecue Society. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett's. From the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources by tuning into the weekly IANR update. Listen to the program each Saturday at 9.30 right here on 880-KRVN. Well, it's time for us to take a look at the business markets and see what's going on there. And uh, right now, things are in the red in a lot of places. In the overnight, the Japanese Nikkei index was uh, up 231 points. However, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down 226. The FTSE in London down 45. And the DAX index was down 87. So not a great overnight in world markets here in the United States. Now, not so good at midday either. Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 129 points. NASDAQ down 23. And the S&P is down 9. And Bob Brogan in here with more. Stocks are lower in midday trading on Wall Street as oil prices spike following a weekend attack on major oil facilities in Saudi Arabia. The U.S. and international benchmarks for crude oil each rose more than 11%. Shares of oil producers rose sharply, with Marathon Oil gaining 8.8%. Companies in fuel-dependent industries also fell. American Airlines dropped 5.3%, and Royal Caribbean Cruises slipped 1.4%. Meanwhile, the average U.S. price of regular-grade gasoline has dropped about $0.03 per gallon over the past three weeks to $2.63. The price is $0.20 lower and what it was in mid-July, however, industry analyst Trilby Lundberg of the Lundberg Survey says she expects the trend to reverse after Saturday's drone attack on Saudi Arabia's key oil processing facility. There was no immediate impact on global oil prices. So, gas prices down a little bit and uh, waiting for more impacts on that. And the attack Saturday on the oil refinery is likely to cause some reaction. Patrick DeHaan, who heads petroleum analysis for GasBuddy.com, doesn't think the prices will immediately spike. In other action, uh, the UAW, uh, a top United Auto Workers official, is telling General Motors that if the company had made its latest offer earlier, the union may not have gone on strike. The letter from UAW Vice President Terry Diditz to GM's chief bargainer says the company waited to make the offer until two hours before the contract expired Friday night. More than 49,000 GM workers walked off their jobs early this morning. 
And it will be up to a federal bankruptcy judge in White Plains, New York, to sort out what happens now with numerous lawsuits against the maker of OxyContin and the family that owns the drug company. Purdue Pharma filed for bankruptcy protection Sunday night with the Sackler family saying it has compassion for the victims of the opioid crisis. Those are some of the stories. We're keeping a close watch on this uh, business day. All right. Thanks so much, Bob. Oil prices continue to rise now up 15% at $63 a barrel. order with you on the Rural Radio Network. Last week, President Trump was present at a pair of meetings with officials of the ethanol industry. One of those officials was Troy Bradenkamp, Executive Director of Renewable Fuels Nebraska, and he said the meetings could be helpful. We've had a couple of meetings with the President this week regarding ethanol. Uh, the first meeting was with companies, uh, major companies, major ethanol manufacturers, uh, meeting with uh, White House staff. Once they realize that our position is pretty clear, that we just want them to follow the law and make sure that we have 15 billion gallons of ethanol in the fuel mix on an annual basis as they are required to do by law, once they figured that out, then they realized that um, we weren't going to be changing our minds. That led to a meeting on Thursday at the White House with what we call the principals or the uh, members of Congress, mostly U.S. Senators, uh, ag-based, that are pro-ethanol. It included Senator Fisher and Senator Sass of Nebraska, Ernst and Grassley of Iowa, Rounds and Thune of South Dakota. I know that uh, Roy Blunt of Missouri was in there, and I might be missing a couple of them, but they went in unified with that message that we just want them to follow the law. If they're going to be giving out small refinery exemptions, as they have in the past, there is a provision and a requirement for them to reallocate those gallons. And there haven't been, they have not been doing that. So on one side of it, they've been adhering to the law with the small refinery exemptions. On the other hand, they have not been reallocating those, those gallons. They've added up to almost 5 billion gallons at this point. What we're saying moving forward is that if you're going to continue to give these small refinery exemptions, let's put a method together that at least keeps ethanol's number whole at 15 billion gallons. We think that's important. We think it's important to send that signal to the marketplace that, hey, ethanol is here and it's here to stay. It's not going to be shortchanged like it has been over the last three years. Uh, we have built out an industry in that 15 to 16 billion gallon range once you include export markets. We could do a heck of a lot more on the corn side, but that's what's in place right now. And so we need to make sure we have a market for those 15 or 16 billion gallons. Part of that is in that renewable fuel standard number of 15 billion. So when you, on an annual basis, as they have over the last three years, told us, sure, you can have 15 billion gallons, but we're going to take 1.3 or 1.4 or 1.5 billion gallons back through these small refinery exemptions, that puts us down to 13 and a half. And that's the reason why we're starting to see margins get so tight that plants are being idled. Uh, we're up to 17 plants across the United States that have been idled uh, due to just the tight margin situation. Uh, and if things don't change, if this policy doesn't change in Washington, we're estimating another 20 to 30 plants across the United States having to be idled by the fourth quarter of this year. So that would be a quarter of our entire ethanol plant fleet. And so that's 25% of production. 
it's obviously 25% of corn demand that has been running through ethanol plants that would not be. So it would just have a very devastating impact to the entire uh, ag complex uh, if that was to happen. Is the president and the White House aware of the scope of the uproar out here in farm country about the SRE situation? I think they're beginning to become more aware, and in particular the president himself. Unfortunately, um, it is my opinion that the president has surrounded himself uh, with people that may not be sharing with him the entire story of what's going on out here. Troy Bradenkamp, he's the executive director of Renewable Fuels Nebraska, and I'm Bruce Gorder. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, right now we see green on the grain screen, but I want to call on your uh, experience during your time in the Navy and thank you for your service. But the Strait of Hormuz, you've talked about that on earlier talks. And what, hearkening on that experience, what do you relate right now with the global tensions with Saudi Arabia? Well, it's it's amazing. And I, I was in, right in 2000. Well, 2003 to 2007, so they were just inventing drones. I remember we, we, I worked on a big deck amphibious ship, and they were bringing drones on for the first time there in, like, 2005. Um, and, and it kind of baffles me that how they would, they would launch a drone, drone strike from across the Persian Gulf. I mean, it's, it's not a small area, and, and the area that was hit was actually far inland in Saudi Arabia. So um, it's a question there as far as what the, um, what the ramifications this will be. I imagine security is very, very tight there already. Uh, especially in the northern Persian Gulf there, but uh, I, I'm a little skeptical that this would have come via drone attack from across the across the P- Persian Gulf. In my opinion, if you're a country launching an IPO, and this is my kind of, uh, what do you call it, conspiracy theorist, it, they're launching an IPO or Saudi Aramco, they're looking to get the price of oil up. I mean, this this screams like something that would happen in country. So uh, short term, though, it's, it's going to be bullish for the energy space. It's certainly bullish for ethanol. And I think it kind of brings back into the, um, I guess, the lexicon of everybody of why we need alternative energies here. You know, and it's been a long difference difference between 2000 and we'll call it 2005, 2006, 2007 when the boom of the crude oil markets were happening and now I think if this kind of thing happens then you're probably looking at crude being up 15 to $20 uh, rather than just the 6 to $7 move that we saw last night but regardless you're seeing ethanol being pulled up or up a nickel this morning uh, good closing corn right at 375 I was thinking we'd have a problem right right here but I'm maybe now leaning more that towards we'll see a push into the 380s but um, with, with delivery still three months out I don't think there's a whole lot of downside, but fast forward two months, if nothing happens with weather, we get the crop out of the ground, somewhat close to yields that they think, I think we're going to be back down to those 360s, so go ahead and, and get some price here if you, if you feel like you're going to have it. And then beans seem split, meal uh, pulling away from oil and kind of spread action. Yeah, beans beans have a story outside of this. Now, uh, cross, cross spreading is going to hurt it, uh, as well as um, currency risk. But at this point, the bean markets have uh, you know 915, 920 in them if the markets would cooperate. We saw some Chinese action this morning as well, although I, I am a little worried that the rhetoric is going to start to return of, of negativity in trade, so you want to be ready for that. And again, like the corn, be ready. Don't wait till that last day in, in October to sell. Again, John Payne, Senior Market Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing. Find more at danielzagmarketing.com. Well, that'll do it for our midday program here on a Monday. To hear this midday program in its entirety, go to podcast at krvn.com.